0: Mark 6, beginning in verse 45. Before we begin, uh, let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your gift of grace and mercy. We thank you for your provision in our lives. God, we ask that you would, uh, that you would work through your Holy Spirit to help us uh, understand uh, your word, that we would understand who Jesus is a little bit more today. That we would understand the way that, that you see the world, the way that you care for the world. Oh God, will you do that today? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I thought I'd start just just with a little story. It's not my story. I took it from someone else, and I don't really know uh, who was the originator, so I can't give credit, but it's not mine. But uh, it's about a Jewish man that uh, he goes to his rabbi, and he says, "Uh, Rabbi, you'll never believe what happened to me. My son left the home, and he became a Christian. And the rabbi says to the Jewish man, hold on, hold on, hold on. You'll never believe what happened to me. My son left the home and became a Christian. And the guy says, well, rabbi, what do we do? And the rabbi says, we pray to God. So they prayed, and God said, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. You'll never believe what happened to me. You get it? Jesus, the son, left, and he's a Christian. Okay, so it probably uh, gets a better laugh. I'm sure a comedian wrote it. Uh, I think think a comedian wrote it and it probably gets a better laugh when it's delivered uh, purposefully and and better. But the point is this, uh, that's a little bit what's going on in our text uh, in that there's uh, these Jewish men that are walking alongside of Jesus. They're learning a little bit more about who he is every step of the way. They're following him. They're seeing the miracles that he performs. They're listening to his teaching, and they're growing more and more in the knowledge of just who is this man. Why did God send him? What's going on? And of course, they become Christian. They're still Jewish, also, but the, you know they they're, they're Christ followers. Um, I. I I think the same thing is, is true for us too uh, on our journey of discipleship. Uh, we desire to, to learn more and more about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him and, and uh, grow in our journey and grow um, in our faith so that we can minister to others more effectively. So that we can see the world the way that God sees it. And we can uh, begin to love and care for people same way that God does. I think that's important to us. Uh, and, and this passage today helps us do that. So Mark chapter six, uh, verse 45 is where we're going to be. And you, you'll remember that where we are in Mark, the, the disciples have been called by Jesus. And uh, he appointed the 12 and he's, he's teaching them. He's teaching uh, groups of people. Uh, he's healing. He's performing uh, Uh, miracles. He's given the disciples power to heal people. And uh, just before this, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And seemingly there's a massive crowd, over 5,000 people that are there. And Jesus teaches them. This is what we discussed last week. And of course, uh, they become hungry and the disciples uh, tell Jesus, hey, let's, let's just send that crowd away. Let's send send them away. Let's dismiss them so that they can go get some food. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. You feed them. The disciples are like, well, I mean, we don't have any food. Like, this little boy's got some some bread and fish. How how are we supposed to feed them? And Joe talked about how uh, it was as if Jesus, as he was handing out the food, more was being made. And the disciples were hopefully learning an important lesson there that that God provides. That they were to trust in Jesus and that he would provide as they served others. And then right after that, we are thrust into our passage today. So as we look at this passage, this is what we're going to see we're going to see that the test and the preparation for ministry continues here. That Jesus places us in difficult situations to test and prepare us for ministry. Jesus places us in difficult situations to test and prepare us for ministry. And when I say ministry, I, I, I don't mean necessarily that all of you are going to become you know, professional uh, clergy and, and, and go to seminary and things like that. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, some of you may in fact, I remember sitting in these seats uh, not too long ago uh, when I was pretty confident that God was calling me into ministry. That may be some of you, but, but even if it's not, you are ministering to people daily when you interact with them. I see it in our small groups, how our small groups serve one another, care for one another. So this is uh, valuable for you as well. Jesus places us in difficult situations to test and prepare us for ministry. Uh, The other thing we're going to see is that recognizing Jesus, his power, and his presence is part of preparing for ministry. Recognizing Jesus, his power, and his presence is part of preparing for ministry. So those are the main things that we're going to see. And then I'm going to, I have a little example that I'm going to share with you to help you see what this looks like today. So let's start reading. Uh, Verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountains to pray. Uh, The word there uh, for making his disciples get in the boat, it's kind of like he compels them to get in the boat. They don't really want to get in the boat, but Jesus is like, no, you're going to get in the boat. And then he goes up to the mountain to pray after the crowd is dismissed. And, and uh, Joe has talked about this last week, and we've talked about it at several times throughout the book of Mark, that uh, even Jesus engages in this rhythm of serving and then being served. Jesus uh, has this rhythm of ministering and then withdrawing to be served by God the Father, to be ministered to by God the Father. It's amazing. Well, we see it here again. And then look what happens. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them uh, straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night. It's probably uh, between 3 a.m., 6 a.m. time frame. He came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. He intended to pass by them. There's a couple things that I want us to first see here in this passage as we're um, noticing that difficult situations happen to help test and prepare us for ministry. The first thing that I want you to see is that the disciples are compelled to get in the boat and they are obedient to Christ. They are obedient to Jesus. They get in the boat. But obedience to Christ does not remove all obstacles to the completion of his will. Obedience to Christ does not remove all obstacles to the completion of His will. Sometimes being obedient to Christ means you're going to come face to face with obstacles. And in fact, uh, these disciples are kind of pros, right? A lot of them probably grew up on the sea, they're, you know, fishermen. For those of you that know me, you know that I am like a complete newbie when it comes to boating. Like, every time I take my boat out, I'm a little scared. I don't really know what I'm doing. Now people that ride in my boat are going to be really nervous. But, uh, I mean, I know a little bit about what I'm doing. But I check the forecast like crazy. I'm I'm checking for wind. And if it's even like a little bit windy, I'm like, no, no, not going out. Because I'm going to have to try to get that boat up on the trailer after. And it's going to be all squirrely and really hard. And so if it's like 15 knots of wind, I'm like, nah, I'll do it another day. And that's a powered boat. You know what I'm saying? These guys are out in the middle of this sea, probably between three and four miles out. They're pros. They know the sea. They're not not noobs when it comes to to the boat. And they're hit with this wind, and they are straining against the wind with their oars. That's the picture here. And this is what I think we can observe from this. That even when these obstacles come, even if the disciples are particularly prepared for this situation, especially skilled in this situation, they may not be able to face these obstacles themselves. It's as if the disciples are being told, You have to rely on me. You have to depend on me. There will be moments in our lives too that we think we can handle. And I hope this passage is a reminder to you to depend on the Lord. Don't try to do it on your own. But that's only a little bit of what's happening here. So obedience to Christ does not remove all obstacles to the completion of his will. We see that here. And and, and the faith that is present uh, in these disciples, that first prompted these disciples uh, to obedience, it has to persist throughout the circumstances. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, is to continue to have faith in those circumstances. But look what Jesus does to encourage them. Verse 49 But when he saw, but when they saw him walking on, sorry, uh, go back. Uh, Verse 48, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, Uh, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For, all, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, and do not be afraid. Now, uh, what's happening here? Like, it's, it's important that we understand this a little bit. It says that Jesus intended to pass by them. I don't think Jesus was like up on the mountain, praying, sees them three miles away, straining, and then goes... Oh, this is going to be funny. <laughs> I'm going to like <laughs> tiptoe by these guys and I'm just going to pass by them to the other side. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think what he's doing, I think that phrase that Mark uses for passing by is really a technical phrase. We see, we see a lot of Old Testament imagery within these passages. Uh, I, think, I think the Old Testament imagery is just replete here. For example, The previous passage last week, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, right? And if you remember uh, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were wandering, they had to depend on God for the provision of food. And he provided manna from heaven. That's the imagery that I get here. That Jesus is providing in the same way that, that God did. And here, you see Jesus walking on the water. And he passes by them. And there were two times in the Old Testament when God passed by someone. Once with Moses, and once with Elijah. You'll remember uh, from the Book of Exodus, Moses right went up to Mount Sinai, and while he was up there talking with God, what did the Israelites do at the bottom of Mount Sinai? They created an idol. They began to worship this idol. And and, and there's this crisis moment where Moses is like, what am I going to do? I can't can't lead these people. Uh, We're supposed to go into the promised land. What's going on here? And God starts to encourage him. And Moses, Moses asks very specifically, he says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I think he asks to see God's glory so that he can have confidence and strength to know that God is actually with them, that that God's presence is with them and that there is is power and that, uh, that, that if he's obedient, that God will see them through it in that crisis moment. And what does God do? It says that God says to Moses, well, you can't see my face, but I will pass before you. And it says that God passes before Moses and Moses sees the glory of God. It's meant to offer encouragement and strength in a time of crisis, to to move Moses along towards his future ministry. The same thing can be true of of Elijah. We see the same thing. There's a crisis moment where the people of Israel are, are rebelling And Elijah doesn't know what to do. And it says that God passes before him and speaks to him. I think it's a moment of encouragement in the midst of crisis that prepares Elijah for future ministry. I think that's what's going on here too. Jesus uh, intends to pass by the disciples to show them a glimpse of who he is, to help them see just a little bit more about who Jesus is. And in fact, uh, the language that's used here, when Jesus says, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid, it can also be rendered, Take courage, I am. I think this is one of Jesus's I am statements where he is saying, I am. I am, in the same way that God said, I am, in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying that to his disciples. I am. I I am sufficient, you aren't. I am the provider, you aren't. It's an amazing moment. And when I read this passage, I often get caught up uh, just on the uh, Jesus walking on water. And of course, Hollywood likes to have fun with that and, and, per- and portray that. But, but the amazing thing here is the allusion to the Old Testament and what this is meant to do for the disciples as they learn a little bit more about who Jesus is. Keep reading, uh, verse 51. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Mark directly links these two events that they were supposed to learn something from the feeding of the 5,000. They were supposed to learn something about about the, the miracle that Jesus did. And feeding that many people just from some, a little bit of bread and fish. That God provides, that Jesus will provide. And that they are to serve depending on him for that provision. And then they're placed in this boat and they're put in a difficult circumstance to be tested and prepared for that ministry. But they still didn't quite understand. They're still growing. It's interesting. um, When you keep reading, they come ashore. They come ashore, not in the place where they were intending to go originally, but to a different place, Gennesaret. And the people there, it says, immediately recognize him. They immediately recognize him. The disciples don't recognize Jesus, they think he's a ghost. The disciples have been with Jesus before when he's on the sea and he calms the wind and the waves. And now they're put in a similar situation and they're still struggling. I think Mark is contrasting these people with the disciples to say, look, the disciples need to recognize who Jesus is. Look at what it says about the people. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. The people recognize Jesus and his power and what he has done. They recognize his his love for the people and the disciples are still growing in that. Now Mark does a great job of painting what discipleship can look like as as people grow in their knowledge and faith of Christ. We're learning a little bit more about who Jesus is and, and what it looks like to follow him every day. just a little bit more every day, we catch a glimpse of Jesus. When we read God's word together, when we go to him in prayer, when we gather together in biblical community and encourage each other, we grow just a little bit more. And we get a picture of that here with these disciples. And it's an amazing thing. Recognizing Jesus and his power and his presence is part of preparing us for ministry. You know, um, we rarely see God walking past us or uh, we, rec- we rarely recognize his blessings or the, the, the sovereignty of God in our life until after things have happened. I know it's true for me. It's probably true for a lot of you that a, a lot of times I don't know what God is doing but, but I, I, I'm choosing to be obedient in the way that I think he's calling me to be obedient. And it's not until after I've, I've walked in faith for a little bit that I can look back and I can see God's hand along the way. I think some of you have similar experiences. To illustrate some of this, I, I, I want to share a story. And it's going to take me a little bit of time because it's... Uh, well, because it's a, a wonderful story. It's, and it's important. Uh, m- many of you know uh, the Malott family. Josh and Jen Malott and their daughters uh, were, were members here of this church. They're in San Antonio now. Uh, they're just a, a, a lovely family. They, um, and I, I asked Josh and Jen if they would write down Their story. And they had been thinking about it. They they know that God is uh, going to use their story in their life and in uh, in the future. And so they had already been thinking about it and they were ready uh, to write it all out. And I'm going to summarize a lot of it because there is a lot. But some of it I'm going to read because I think it's important that you hear their words. Uh, Last Christmas Eve, Josh and Jen... Uh, they were expecting a, just a lovely evening with their three daughters, uh, ages uh, five, four, and two. Josh was getting his daughters ready for bed so, so that uh, once they were ready for bed, they could come out and they, they could enjoy a time uh, together. And he stepped out of the room for a minute. And in that minute, uh, something happened that would forever change this family's life. Um, He went back into the room after only a minute, and he found his oldest daughter, Lou, unconscious. Her eyes were glazed over, her lips were blue, and she wasn't breathing. He, of course, started CPR immediately. They called 911. uh, They called some friends to come over to to be with the other girls uh, as, as they were gonna go to the hospital. Uh, Lou regained consciousness, and the, the paramedics were there uh, evaluating her, and, and they knew they had to get her to the hospital even though she was uh, conscious. And as she was heading to the ambulance, she was, she was on a stretcher and her body was just shaking. She wasn't acting like herself. And see, the, the problem is even though she was uh, conscious again, time slips by in those moments. And they didn't know how long it had been since her brain had oxygen. So they had to get her to the hospital. They had to get her checked out and they had to uh, start finding out what was going on. Well, they were airlifted to San Antonio and the doctors uh, continued to stabilize her and uh, evaluate her for brain activity. Josh and Jen at this time had activated the prayer chain here at Del Rio Bible Church. We were all praying. And this is what, uh, this is their words. This is what they said. God showed up in a big way. We had an overwhelming feeling much like that expressed in Daniel 3. The God we serve is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, we will still trust in you and your goodness. God, I so badly don't want to lose my daughter, but if I do, let me praise you for my other daughters. God, I so badly want for Lou to get better, but if she doesn't, I thank you she is alive. God, I so badly want Lou to stop hallucinating, and I want her to know how to walk and drink from a straw. But we will praise you, even with a handicapped child. They were placed in a really difficult situation, and their faith shined through in that moment. They were trusting in the sovereignty of God. Well, in San Antonio, a pediatric neurologist was able to evaluate Lou finally. And uh, he looked at her brain activity, and he was confident that she would make a full recovery, a full recovery. And the amazing thing is, he said, "Um, it's going to take some time. It's going to be hard. She's going to have to relearn cognitive function and motor skills, but she should make a full recovery. And this this is what Josh and Jen said. God is so good. His sovereignty was abounding in this entire scenario. Because this is exactly what we needed to happen at the exact right moment. At the exact right moment. See, Jen was already pregnant with twins. And it was very early along. And because of the situation with Lou, they couldn't find uh, the, the medical support here to help Lou recover. So God was at work in starting the process of getting them to San Antonio quickly. And they were in San Antonio, Lou was working on recovery, and Jen was going in for her regular checkups. And they found a problem with the twins. It was a a unique problem, a pretty rare problem, but uh, essentially one twin was growing okay, not great, but okay, but the other twin was not growing well and not developing well. And the only way to correct it is a a surgery that was very dangerous. Uh, You need someone who's highly skilled and the doctors were not recommending that. So they were trying to figure out what to do and fortunately they were in San Antonio and and the doctors and the medical staff continued to advise them. You know, you can always just try again. it's It's better if we do something that even though we may, will lose the smaller twin, at least the, the older one will, will grow. Now, that, that just wasn't, that wasn't a solution for Josh and Jen. They weren't willing to, to say, okay, let, let's, let's do it. They had just seen what God did with their daughter, Lou. So again, they began to pray and we began to pray. And they had to face that every step of the way with their medical staff. But God wasn't done with this family. And it's really interesting. uh, Summarizing a lot of stuff here, it seems like almost just a random series of events and coincidences led Jen to find a doctor. A a doctor that is mostly known for the very surgery that she needs. And in fact, he's so well known for it that they have reunions with these twins that he has saved. And so she just reaches out to the, to, the, uh, to the doctor's office and he gets back to where they, this doctor personally calls them at nine o'clock on a Thursday, 9 p.m., Thursday night. And Monday, they were in Miami for an appointment. Monday, they were in Miami for an appointment. And they met with the doctor. This is what the doctor said to them. This is what the doctor said. The small twins' odds are about 20% of living. So I'm not sure why doctors want to take that down to zero on purpose. And Josh and Jen, they knew they had found their doctor. This is what they said. We had barely enough money in our bank account to cover the procedure and the travel. I had an overwhelming thought that money is an excellent tool and a terrible master. A price tag was not going to prevent me from holding both of my daughters. This is why God gave me money to save my family. If I'm not using it to save their lives, why should I even have it? So they have the surgery. The doctor performs the surgery. It's a success. The twins begin to grow. But they're not done. She's seen uh, doctors for regular appointments in San Antonio. And at one such appointment... The nurse hooks up Jen and they look at the baby's heartbeats and they see that both twins are doing great. And the nurse unhooks her as is normal. Everything seems great. And the the day was approaching when delivery would happen. It was just a checkup to see how things were. And the nurse just has this feeling. And in the nurse's words, randomly, That's the nurse's word, that that she randomly decides to put the leads back on before uh, before ending the appointment. And they put the leads on, and the nurse and Jen see on the monitor the little twin's heart rate just plummet. Josh Josh isn't even there at this moment, and he gets a call. Jen's heading into emergency surgery right now. We're delivering the babies. And the delivery is a success. And the babies are in the NICU, but they got to come home. The little twin got to come home five days ago. This is what Josh and Jen summarize and say about this. We truly feel like three of our five girls have been brought back from certain death. We feel a connection with the hopeless families in the New Testament that had nowhere to turn until Jesus showed up. I have a brand new appreciation for resurrection because I believe we experienced it with 60% of our children. Thank you, God, for giving me the experience of almost death so that I can appreciate the life you give. We are so thankful for how God's providence has caused our life to fall into place in the gentlest way possible. We have seen him take every ounce of control away from us so we would finally surrender it to him. He drained our bank account and showed us that money doesn't provide for us. He does. God is continuing to work in our lives in amazing providential ways. We cannot wait for what he has in store next. And we have to rely on him because he showed us over the last seven months that we are not enough. He is. That's what it looks like to be placed in a really hard situation and choose to walk with God and see his sovereignty, to be able to depend on him. And even in that hard situation, to be able to minister to others, to teach the medical staff that that was saying we should get rid of one twin so that the other one might live. They get to see Josh and Jen's faith in that moment. That's what it looks like. The disciples are placed in a hard situation, on purpose. Jesus is testing them and preparing them for future ministry so that they would know that God is sovereign, so that they would lean on his provision, depend on him as they serve other people. They're asked to recognize Jesus more and more his power and his presence in their life. The same thing is true of us. We have people here in this church that have lost a spouse and they feel God's calling upon their life to care for other people who have lost spouses because they can uniquely identify with them and care for them. So as you look at this passage, I really want you guys to look back upon your own lives. See the ways in which God has been there for you. See how he has placed you in difficult situations. How is he preparing you to serve other people? Do you recognize the fullness of Jesus? Do you recognize his power and his presence in your life? Are you aware of it? Do you long to serve people the way that Jesus served people? Do you long to tell people about the amazing things that Jesus has done for you? That's what I see when I read this. I I hope we are a community of believers that so loves the Lord and loves other people that we would want everyone to know who Jesus is, what he has done for us, how he has gotten us from one point in our life to where we are now. I fully expect uh, Josh and Jen to uh, write a book someday, especially uh, with what they sent me. It, it's, it's a lot. There, there's definitely enough there for a book. They may be comforting families for the rest of their lives that have to deal with things like this. They're uniquely positioned to comfort people, to care for people. God has prepared them in that way. How is he preparing you? How is he preparing you? And what is he asking you to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I, I, I thank you for showing me more and more every day who your son Jesus is. I know that I'm still growing in knowledge and faith. I know that we all are. God, I just, I pray that you would continue to work to show us who you are. To show us your glory a little more every day. I pray that you would help us be able to look back and identify those hard times that you were testing us and preparing us. And that you would give us a glimpse of the future of how we might be able to be more effective in ministry for you because of those situations. God, I ask that you would help us lean more and more on you. That we would depend on you. That we would learn more about who your son is. Oh, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.